0: share stories about interesting and often groundbreaking research and innovations taking place at the University of Utah. I'm Julie Kiefer, Associate Director of Science Communications at University of Utah Health and host of this episode. In recent years, cases of anxiety and depression have increased dramatically for a variety of reasons. The World Health Organization found, for example, that anxiety and depression increased globally by 25 percent in the first year of the pandemic. Climate change, social media, world events, all have been suggested as contributing to the rise. But the root causes of these conditions are still unclear, and understanding them is the first step toward developing better treatments. There's exciting news on this front at the University of Utah, where scientists working with mice have found that a type of immune cell in the brain controls anxiety and obsessive compulsive behaviors. My guest today is Mario Capecchi, a Nobel laureate and distinguished professor of human genetics at the Spencer Fox Eccles School of Medicine and of biology in the School of Biological Sciences. Professor Capecchi is going to tell us what their study found and what it could mean in the future. Welcome to you, Rising, Mario.
1: Thank you, Julie. It's a pleasure to be here and to be able to have a conversation with the U community as well as its students.
0: Well, thank you. Anxiety, depression, and obsessive-compulsive disorders are debilitating conditions that affect about 30% of adults. This spring you published research on a gene in mice that may shed light on the root causes of these conditions. Can you tell us what, what you found?
1: Well, first of all, we generated a mutation in mice in a gene called HoxB8. And what did we find, which was very surprising, was they had chronic anxiety as well as pathological overgrooming. That is a condition that is very similar to OC spectrum disorders, where the patients actually remove body hair and compulsively do so.
0: And so, how do you study this phenomenon in mice?
1: Uh, we well, use a technology that was also developed in our lab that is, gene targeting. We can change any gene in an organism such as a mouse, and then see what happens to the mouse to infer its function. For example, if little finger disappears, we're in the program for making little finger. In this case, we knocked out Hoxb8, and we got chronic anxiety and pathological overgrooming A surprise.
0: And so tell us a little bit more about how you understood what exactly that gene was was doing and how it worked.
1: So the first thing that you do you see the you see what we call the phenotype, that is the effects of the mutation. And what we see for example in terms of grooming, we see that the mouse removes body hair on the chest compulsively until he actually has lacerations, and that makes it pathological. They also show high levels of anxiety, and we have multiple ways of measuring anxiety. We have for example two platforms Up in the air, one platform has walls on either side, and the other is completely open. So a normal mouse will explore both platforms, but an anxious mouse will stay away from the one that doesn't have uh, supporting walls. So they can look down, and it looks way down there, and it's scary. So they, and anxiety increases.
0: And so. You were able to turn these behaviors on and off by n- manipulating this gene. Can you talk a little bit about how you did sure. that? Sure.
1: And this is a very new development. It's called optogenetics. Bacteria in the ocean do photosynthesis. It doesn't make sense to do photosynthesis at nighttime because there's no s- source of sun. So they have channels, uh, channels that allow ions to go in and out from the cell, that are dependent on light. So in the absence of light, they're closed. And as soon as the light turns on, the sun comes up, then the lights are open. And a couple of researchers in Germany, as well as in uh, Stanford, decided, wow, this is quite something. Because opening a channel and allowing cations to come on activate neurons. So they said, well, we'll use gene targeting to put these channels inside a mouse brain in specific neurons, then open them up, and those neurons are activated, and they fire signals to other cells, and then you can tell what the neuron is doing if the mouse starts all of a sudden running around. You turn off the light, and it stops. Turn on the light, it starts circling around in circles, so you know you're in a program that says run around in circles, or go forward and back, or whatever.
0: And so you were able to use this optogenetics technology to turn on and off this gene and and control these anxiety behaviors.
1: So the the new addition was that nobody had thought of doing the same thing to microglia. People looked at microglia as scavenger cells. They're there to clean up messes. If a cell dies, they remove the, the dead cell and so on. They didn't think about microglia controlling neuronal circuits, yet our data suggested that they are controlling neural circuits because we inactivate a gene in microglia, and all of a sudden we see specific behavior, grooming or elevated anxiety. so that suggested that these cells are somehow involving in neural circuits in brain because they're controlling the actual behavior. It's not that the microglia are responsible for the behavior. They're simply controlling the neural circuits that affect the behavior. And so we knew there has to be a link. And this was an opportunity to see whether optogenetics would work in microglia. And nobody had thought of that experiment because they thought it wouldn't work. But we were, you know, wild in a sense. (laughs) And put our channels not in neurons, but in microglia. So then when we turn on the light, now only microglia are activated. And then we look at the response. And voila! We saw all of a sudden behavior, the same behaviors we saw by inactivating activating gene, turning on anxiety or turning on grooming in response to light. We turn on the light in specific regions of the brain, only in microglia, and then all of a sudden we have these behaviors.
0: Right. And so you were able to take this optogenetics technology, target the gene in these different populations of microglia, and that affected the behavior of these right. mice, and that was a surprise—a
1: real surprise. Though, and uh, we were very excited, and uh, we've just published that, and the uh, scientists seem to be quite excited about the paper.
0: So, explain that. Why? Why is everyone so excited? Help us understand. I that. think
1: because it all of a sudden says people always. You know, knew that microglia were important. There were a lot of them in the brain, but they certainly didn't think about them controlling neural circuits. And here we're showing a direct link between microglia and neural circuits to control behavior.
0: And it's not just microglia, right? There are different populations of microglia that seem right. to be doing different things. Right. Can you explain that? That's
1: the other part. I mean, when we got into this game, uh, in terms scientifically, there was only one population of microglia. Uh, and they knew quite a bit about them, and they simply called them microglia. Then along we came and we knocked out hoxb 8, and then we saw that it was also affecting microglia, but when we looked in detail, they were a different population. It took quite a while to convince other scientists that there really are two populations of microglia, and here is an example of where these two populations are doing different things. One is increasing uh, anxiety and Grooming and the other is acting as breaks and decreasing anxiety and grooming.
0: So it's interesting that there seems to be this all this control to fine tune these anxiety <laughs> behaviors. Can you talk about that a little bit? I mean, it, we think of anxiety as being so debilitating, but right. it, there actually might be some advantages to right. being a little no, bit anxious.
1: Anxiety is actually has, and, bo- and also grooming. It's interesting that these two systems have this in common. That is, in small amounts, it's good. A small amount of anxiety spurs you on, puts you in a, a new situation, and all of a sudden you say, I can, I can handle this. Okay, So it's positive. It is a positive force. It says, I can do something about what's happening to me. And that's what happens under small amounts of anxiety. Similarly with great, grooming, small amounts of grooming are comforting. Moms groom their children for comfort, and the children receive it as comforting. So there's a for small amounts of grooming, and similarly, sim, if we groom ourselves, we make ourselves look a little better, and that makes us uh, more attractive to society and therefore happier. Uh, so in small amounts, it's terrific. In large amounts, it's debilitating. So what we want to do is be able to control levels of anxiety, levels of grooming that are good and not allow it to go beyond that to pathological levels.
0: So there's really a lot of groundbreaking ideas here that your lab has been able to uncover. Mm -hmm. I mean, microglia are controlling behavior through the neurons. That's the major brain cell type. And there's different populations of microglia that are controlling these leveling of anxiety in mice. So what implications do you think this could have for people?
1: Well, I think what we have to do now is really the nitty-gritty. Find out which neural circuits and neurons microglia are interacting with, and, and what is the conversation, who's saying what to who, and how the neurons are responding. And then once we're there, then we have to figure out the molecular language that they're using to communicate. And then finally, can we modulate that level? Can we control it so that when it becomes pathological, we can put on the brakes or if it's not enough, raise the level of anxiety a little bit to be uh, effective to the patient. So I think it's the more we understand the system, the more targets we have that we can then apply drugs, for example, to that are specifically developed for that purpose to uh, modulate levels of anxiety and maintain them at good levels, and similarly, grooming, maintain it at good levels and not pathological levels.
0: Um, so you're finding that microglia have control over anxiety and anxiety-related behaviors. Do you think they have control of, over other types of behaviors, too?
1: I'm not sure whether other behaviors and why they chose these particular behaviors, I still don't know. Uh, hopefully that our research will start giving us clues as to why they were picked out out of, you know, multiple behaviors. But I think it's, you know, there's lots of information, for example, that uh, microglia are involved in Alzheimer's disease. And there's, unfortunately, there's evidence for both ways that they're doing good things <laughs> and doing bad things. And so again, it's an interesting system uh, in a sense that it's a yin-yang system, which is what we see with behavior. I think uh, that's going to be an interesting system. And so it's being looked at in terms of many pathologies. And the other thing that's interesting about microglia is they work in time scales that we're familiar with. Normally, neurons are working, what, in milliseconds. That is thousands of a second really fast. I mean, you know, faster than we can imagine. And yet, most behaviors are in seconds. It's, so it's a thousandfold difference in scale. And so the question is, how do you go from one system working at one time period, whereas the others are working at very different time periods. And so that's also is going to be interesting to establishing that kind of uh, communication.
0: And so what are the next steps for your lab with this work? Uh,
1: find out which neurons, find out what the conversation is, and then develop targets that would allow us to manipulate those, uh, those targets in a good way to reduce levels of anxiety or increase levels for grooming to levels that are comforting, but not pathological levels. And what makes you excited about this research? I think it's always surprises. I love science when you have, you know, you're doing something and then all of a sudden you get something unexpected. Uh, And further, you know, it's the science we do is really at the basic level. We try to understand the biology and then the application will simply fall out from that knowledge. And who are good at that? Drug companies are good at that. I'm not good at making drugs. I'm good at studying biology. And so as soon as you develop a, a target, then they will be very anxious to then develop the, the drugs.
0: Dr. Kapeki, do you have undergraduates and other students in your lab?
1: I'd love to have undergraduates and chemistry students in the lab. I think they're excited, they work hard, and that's what I love. So, uh, no, the opportunities there, when I was an undergraduate, I was very lucky and could go to MIT and uh, work in labs and started all sorts of projects While I was an undergraduate. So, no, I think I, I'd love to encourage undergraduates to come. All they have to do is call my uh, secretary, set up an appointment, and if I have money, I mean, the, the next thing I have to do is get money.
0: Well, I love your research, and thank you very much for sharing it with us. Professor Kopecky, thank you for being my guest today on U Rising.
1: It's been my pleasure, and hello to the U community as well as students, and I hope we have further opportunities to interact.
0: Listeners, that's it for today's episode of U Rising. Our executive producer is Brooke Adams, and our technical producer is Robert Nelson. I hope you'll tune in next time when my co-host Chris Nelson will be talking with Nicholas Witham, who won the Wilkes Center Student Innovation Prize. I'm Julie Kiefer. Thanks for listening.